We're continuing today in our series on what does it mean to follow Jesus. Kyle Eidelman wrote a book a few years back called uh, Not a Fan. In fact, we, we used that uh, one year in our January study. And uh, in this book, Not a Fan, he says this, the most literal way to define a follower of Jesus is as someone uh, who goes where Jesus goes. Uh, he adds to that, he said, I'm not sure how you can call yourself a follower of Jesus if you refuse to go where Jesus went. If you follow Jesus, expect yourself to be criticized, he says, by some of the religious people in your life. If you follow Jesus, you might find that your family thinks you're crazy. Jesus is dead. You, you may find yourself being unfairly accused and even unjustly treated by those in political office. And ultimately, he writes, if you follow Jesus wherever it is, you won't just end up covered in his dust, you will end up covered in his blood. Am I ringing back to you guys? Because I'm ringing up here. Am I, guys, can we kind of, uh, uh, kind of adjust that a little bit? Because it, I think it is ringing just a little bit. Here, here's what I want you to get. Jesus invites us to follow him. But he invites us on his terms. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and you can follow me however you wish to. A lot of people today in our world think, well, I, I follow Jesus, but I follow him the way I want to follow him. But Jesus never made that provision. And today in the text that I want to uh, read and show you, I want to see, I want you to understand better the invitation that Jesus uh, extends to us to become his followers. And so if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 11, let's begin reading at verse 27. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, all things have been, been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Father, would you take your word and would you open uh, your word to our hearts and to our minds? And Father, would you cause it to penetrate beyond just the surface? And would you cause it to penetrate and go all the way to our soul? Just as you've said, your word divides and it pierces the soul. It opens up and it reveals. And we pray that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would speak to us. And Father, we pray that as we listen to your word, that you will convict us and we pray that you will convert us, that you will challenge us and you will instruct us. Teach us, Father, your ways from your word and now may the words of my heart and the uh, meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight I pray in Jesus name amen now this is one of the most beautiful passages in all of the New Testament because what it does is it it combines the comfort of living under the care and the provision of Jesus but it also reflects the calling of Jesus for us to be followers on a level that transcends the burden of just trying to live religiously. You need to understand a little of the context. Why did Jesus say to this, uh, say, come to me all you who are burdened or weary or heavy laden? He said that because the Pharisees in that age were very religious. And what they did, Jesus said, is you bind men with heavy burdens. 
In other words, you would, he, he would, the, the Pharisees would come and say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And people are trying to live up to this uh, legal burden that they can't possibly do without help. Now, the Pharisees weren't doing it either. But because they decided who was and who wasn't, they would just point to folks and, and say, here's the law. You're not living up to the law. We've decided you're not. And it, and it was so uh, burdensome that it was like it was crushing the people. They wanted to live for God. They wanted to follow God. But the burden of the law, they just couldn't keep. And so it was like it was crushing them. And it was destroying them spiritually. And so against that backdrop, Jesus says, come to me. I, Jesus didn't say, come to me, I, I will, I'll wipe the law out. That's not what he said. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And on the cross, he did fulfill the demands of the law. But what he was saying to them was, come to me. I know this world has beaten you down, that this world has burdened you down. And come to me, I have a better way. And I have a way that you can live for God without trying to keep the law constantly uh, uh, carrying that kind of burden. And in this passage, what Jesus does is he offers us an invitation. And it is just like it was to these people. It's so different, but it's refreshing and it's rewarding. But it is determined by our response. What we do with his invitation. Now, there are a lot of invitations from Jesus to people in the New Testament. For example, in Matthew 4, 19, uh, there's the invitation to the first disciples. Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This is the, the first invitation that we see from Jesus. Then in Luke, uh, there's the invitation to the rich young ruler. There's a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. He says, I want to be your follower. Jesus says, great, I'm all, I, I want followers. And, and he says, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, you need to obey the, the law. You need to keep a, a certain things. You need to do this and, and this. Jesus is testing him, by the way. And the man says, I've done all that. Well, he hadn't. But he said he had. And, and, and so Jesus said, but there's one thing you lack. He, he was rich. He said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, the problem wasn't that he had wealth the problem was he didn't know what to do uh, between wealth and God he didn't know how to serve God first and so that's why Jesus would also say no man can serve two masters Jesus knew this that that was the master he really served in his heart and so Jesus addresses that with him and the Bible says that that when Jesus and Jesus said so so this is what I want you to do take and sell all that you have give to the poor and then come and follow me that's the invitation and the man couldn't do it because you see, he had another God that was more important to him. Then there's the invitation, the marriage feast of the Lamb. You know, the Bible says that Jesus has invited you to join him at this great feast that's going to happen. Revelation talks about it in Revelation 19. And Jesus talked about it in a parable in Matthew 22. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. So go, therefore, to the main roads and invite the wedding, to the wedding feast as many as you can find. That's us. Jesus is saying, you're invited to this feast, but remember what I said, it's all about how we respond to the invitation. And then there's an invitation to the church. Did you know there's an invitation from Jesus to the church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. In other words, we'll establish this kind of fellowship. A lot of people think that verse is written to lost people, but that verse is actually written to the church. It's an invitation to the church to have this close relationship with God 
And then there's the invitation uh, in our passage this morning to anyone that is weary, to anyone that feels beaten down, anyone that's carrying a load that Jesus never intended for them to carry. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you three things about Christ's invitation to us. The first one we see in verse 28. Keep your Bibles open. And it's simple. It's three words. Come to me. The first uh, uh, thing we need to see is that Jesus invites you to show up. That's the first thing. He invites you to show up. Come to me. This is like a spiritual RSVP. You know, you're invited, but you have to respond. Because, why, why do you have to respond? Because Jesus will not force you to come to him. If you don't know him, you're watching, you're listening in this live audience, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've been trying to just do the right stuff and everything, that's a burden that you can't carry. But Jesus says, come to me, and, and, but he will not make you. He will not force you to come to him. It is an invitation, but you have to respond. He's not going to say, I'm going to make you come to me. Now, he may put things in your path. He may put family and uh, friends around you that urge you and talk to you and encourage you. He may have circumstances that he used to push you toward him but he will not force you to come to him and so what he says here is you come to me this is an invitation but it's not an invitation for you to say well I'll come on my terms no one ever comes to Jesus on their own terms no one ever says well here's how I'll do it I'll I'll do it my way Jesus never never gave us that option in all the stories we see when Jesus calls people to follow him he never says how would you like to follow me In fact, he's very direct, he's very plain. We don't talk about it enough, quite frankly, but when Jesus gives an invitation, it is always, here's the invitation, you make the decision, but this is it. He doesn't say, let's do it. You know the rich young ruler? Now listen, that that guy would have been accepted most any place as a follower of Jesus because he had good manners. He said, dear teacher, dear sir. He had good morals. He said, you know, I've done, I've been, I've lived a pretty good life. And, and, and then he had money. Most places would have said, come on, right? But Jesus didn't. And when the Bible says his, when Jesus told him, come and follow me, the Bible says literally his countenance changed. His face dropped is what it says in the Greek. His face just fell. It dropped because, because he had a different master and he really didn't want to change his masters. He just wanted to follow on his terms. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus let him walk away. Today, I'm afraid too many times when that kind of invitation would come, we would say, oh, 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 just wait a minute. Okay, come back, come back. Let's talk about how we can make this work. Jesus never does that. When Jesus is walking by and he sees some people in the field, he says, come on, follow me. And they say, I I, I will, but first got to do this. And Jesus just keeps going. Uh, To another, he called and said, follow me. And the guy said, I will, but I've got to go and do this first on another occasion. And you know what Jesus does? He just keeps going. Jesus never says, come and follow me on your terms. Now listen, listen, people, get that in your system. Because the culture you're living in today claims to, uh, to, to be interested in God. And many claim to be followers of God. But what they're really saying, I follow Jesus on my terms. And Jesus never gives that option. But he does invite us to show up, but we have to respond. Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, he's speaking to all of us. But in particular, I think there are at least two kinds of people he's speaking to. Number one, he's speaking to the person who is extremely weary. Is that you today? 
You just, you just feel worn out. He's speaking to the person that, that's worn out from the details of living, of life. Uh, the, the details of, of labor and, and work. And, and they're physically exhausted from living on life's treadmill. Sometimes it feels that way, right? And they're just worn out. And he, Jesus, look, Jesus is talking about the external load of life. Do you know Jesus cares about even the external things of your life and how you uh, deal with those things and how you carry those things? And here's what, what he knows, that those things, they'll, they'll wear you out, won't they? There are some of you listening today and you're worn out. I mean, you're physically worn out. And, and Jesus wants you to know that He wants to help you carry the burdens of your life, the physical burdens of your life. He wants you to know that He's there for that. So are you weary today? Remember, Jesus cares about you. We, we always say, well, Jesus cares about me spiritually. Jesus cares about all of you. There's no dichotomy of your spiritual life and your physical life and your emotional life with Jesus. I understand there are a dichotomy of those things, but Jesus sees you as one, not as parts. And so consequently, Jesus, when you're physically worn out, guess what? Jesus is concerned about that. When you're tired, when you're, you're, you feel like the load is too great, Jesus is concerned about that. So he's, he's talking about the person that is extremely externally just worn out, just exhausted. But the other person that he's specifically talking about is the person who's extremely burdened. So the person that's extremely weary, the person that's extremely burdened. Did you notice he uses the phrase heavy laden? This is the idea of being pounded and beat down. Despair, discouragement, depression, all of these things. Life is tough. And listen, if you, if you get exhausted Physically, guess what happens? You'll get exhausted emotionally. External and internal. Jesus cares about all that. He's talking about the person. Some persons say, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not so physically tired, but I am emotionally exhausted. Have you ever heard that? There's been a lot of that during COVID. There are studies and reports out there. I've got a file full of articles on how depression has gone up and discouragement has gone up over the last uh, a couple of years uh, as we've dealt with stuff emotionally that we've never had to deal with before. This is about the internal load, the heavy uh, burden that, that has caused us to feel crushed, discouraged. Now, why does the devil want you to live under this kind of external physical and internal emotional and spiritual why does he want you to live under those kinds of burdens well it's very simple because the devil understands something that if he can uh, if he can put a load on you that makes you want to quit that makes you want to throw in the towel guess what it makes you vulnerable to compromise and it makes you vulnerable to temptation you know most of the time when you become vulnerable to those things uh, you end up yielding ground in your life to the devil that God wants to uh, control himself. And so he knows if he can beat you up uh, 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 internally, if he can wear you out externally, he knows he can make you vulnerable to compromise and temptation. You see, our arch enemy knows that if he can beat us down, he can beat us up. If he can beat you down, he can beat you up. So Jesus invites us to come to him. He says, show up. To the only one, Him, that's capable of helping us live in and live through the struggles of this world. 
So how do you show up? It's, it's a good question. By the way, let me just tell you something. I'll come back to this again. When he says, come to me, in the Greek, that's, in the, that, that's a, I- imperative. That's a command. And by the way, it's in the present tense, my favorite tense in the Greek language. What does that mean? So it means this. When he says, come to me, he's not saying, hey, the invitation is optional. He's really saying the invitation is a command. Now, you don't have to obey it, but I command you, come to me, because you don't understand a lot of times that he's the only one that can carry the load. So he says, come to me. That's a command, and it's in the present tense. So it means not only come to me, but keep on coming to me. Present tense, come to me, keep on coming to me. Uh, because I can give you help. I can do now. So how do you come to him? How do you show up? Let me suggest three things that will help you show up. Number one, come to him in private prayer and in the reading of his word. Come to him in private prayer and the reading of, that's one of the ways you, you show up. You, you, you come to him and you connect with him through the, the scripture, through the reading of the word, certainly through the preach word, but your personal private time in the word of God. I was up early this morning and I was reading uh, in the scripture. That was for me. That wasn't for you. That was me coming to him to show up, to say, God, what might you say to me? And then I was talking with him. And then, believe it or not, Bradley, I was singing to him this morning morning now he doesn't mind you would do you know what I was singing there's another in the fire I didn't know they were doing that today but that's what I was singing early this morning to him and and uh, no everybody else is asleep thank the Lord but we come to him that's how we come to him and then we come to him in public worship like this with other believers we, this is how we show up. We show up. Remember I said that he, he sits on the praise of his people? Now, I love our media and all the stuff we can do. And I know there are people who, who have vulnerabilities right now that, that, that prohibit their being in a live audience. I understand all that. But I want to tell you something. As soon as you can get back to the live worship, you ought to get to the live worship. I mean, we got people all over the country. In fact, we're even told uh, overseas that, that watching us. And I thank God for all of that. I'm glad we can do that and everything. But it is not a replacement for ecclesia. Unless you just physically are not able to come. There's, it's not a replacement for the ecclesia. That word is the Greek word for church, and it means the gathering. And see, if Jesus rides on the praise of his people... That's why when you gather, it just seems, people will say to me all the time, where more and more people are starting to crawl back to church, and, and people will say this, man, it just feels different. It is different. It, it just really is different. Because, why? Because the presence of, look, can the presence of God be communicated through a screen? Absolutely. But there's something unique. So we come to him in public. We come to him in public worship with other believers because he descends upon our gathering. And then we, we show up and come to him in personal obedience and sacrifice. We come to him and say, Look, whatever your agenda is. In the first hour, we talked about the first thing you ought to do when you get up in the morning, you put your feet on the ground, is you ought to say, Thank you, Jesus, you brought me through the night. You know what the second thing you ought to do is? You ought to say, here I am, Lord, reporting for duty. Whatever your agenda is, I want to be my agenda. Instead of saying, God, here I am reporting for duty, and here's my list for the day. Instead, we say, God, I'm reporting for duty. I will obey you. I surrender myself. 
self-sacrifice God. I put myself before you. It's like reporting in for, to your commanding officer. You know, a soldier doesn't show up uh, uh, at, the, uh, uh, at roll call. He doesn't show up and say, okay, I'm here. Uh, and by the way, um, I want to suggest an alternative agenda to today. Soldier doesn't do that, and he'll end up in the brig. What a soldier does is says, I'm here, I'm, I, I surrender my agenda for your agenda. That's exactly the idea for you and I when we get up each day. We're saying, God, I'm coming to you in personal obedience and sacrifice. And so whatever your agenda is, that has now become my agenda. I'm not even negotiating. Well, Lord, do you think maybe we could do some of mine and some of yours? In fact, the reason that a lot of Christians are worn out is they're trying and they have confused their agenda with the agenda of God. And so they're trying to get God on board with their agenda. You remember at the start of this series, I said, here's a, and I'm going to repeat this throughout the whole series, but it's something I want you to get in your hand. Jesus is not asking, can he join us in our journey? What Jesus is doing is inviting us to join him in his journey. And to do that, we have to report and say, here I am. And so... That leads to the second point that I want you to see this morning, and that is that Jesus invites you to give up. Not only does Jesus invite you to show up and report for duty, Jesus invites you to give up. Now, not in the sense that we think. Sometimes we think when you say, give up, I, I give up. That's not, what he's, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus isn't calling you to come and say, I give up, except that he's coming to say, he, he's asking you to come and say to him, I surrender control. Notice verse 28, he says, come to me, who? All who labor and are heavy laden. And what does he say? I'll give you rest. And implied in that statement in our coming to him is that we give up control. That's one of the biggest hindrances to living the spirit-filled life. We want to control. We want to call the shots for our life. It's also one of the hardest things for us to do, you know, giving up control, saying, okay, I yield control. There's something in our flesh that dies hard. There's something, sometimes, if we were honest, it says, I still just think I know better what I need and what to do than Jesus does. And there's something in our flesh that causes us to fight against yielding control to Him. There was an article in Answers Magazine, and it quotes a young woman who made the following statement about following Jesus. She said that she wants to be religious. That's probably the first tip. But she isn't prepared to let religion alter her lifestyle. And so she says, and I quote, this is her quote, she says, I'm a Jesus girl. Now that sounds pretty good, right? Today if you were to go, ladies, I'm a Jesus girl, people go, oh, that's pretty, you know, you're a Jesus girl. I like Jesus, all God's people, you know, that, that sort of thing. But she goes on to, and, and she says, but, I'm a Jesus girl, but I also like to go out and do tequila shots with my friends. Praise God. She, she, you see, she does not understand what it means to follow Jesus. And until you and I are sick and tired of our old life, we won't give up our life or give up control to follow Jesus. And frankly, that's what Jesus requires. Not my agenda. In fact, Jesus modeled it for us in the garden. Do you remember that night in the garden when he prayed, Lord, is there some other way? In other words, is there another agenda that we could follow? And then he, he surrenders control of the agenda to the Heavenly Father when he says what? Nevertheless, 
not my agenda, that's what he was saying, but your agenda be accomplished. Not my will, but your will be accomplished. Jesus makes clear that following him, look, listen, an unpopular message, he makes clear that following him involves self-sacrifice. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and calling the crowd to him, and with his disciples, the crowd and the disciples, not just those closest, the whole crowd, he says this to him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Why would he have to say that? Well, because when Jesus spoke those words to the crowd and to the disciples, it was what we call his year of popularity. It was actually cool to be a Jesus follower. Because he was healing people. People were being, multitudes were being drawn. He was feeding multitudes. He was doing all kinds of miracles. And by the way, John says there were many more deeds that he did that we don't, there's not enough books in the, the, the universe to contain all the works that Jesus did. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And so it was pretty cool to follow Jesus. But later on, Jesus spoke some hard words to them, the Bible says, and many of his followers walked with him no more. This is a little too much because this forces commitment. This forces self-sacrifice. And they didn't want to do it. They said, as long as everything's going well, he's healing people, feeding people, doing miracles, and everybody likes Jesus. Jesus is popular. By the way, these same people who believed in popular would be the same people that later on would be yelling, crucify him. And so he makes it clear. He says, look, uh, following me is not an easy thing. I was first exposed to a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who died in a Nazi prison camp 10 days before World War II ended, and he died because he opposed Hitler. He was a godly man, and a number of books, Cost of Discipleship was my first encounter with him when I was in college, and I read that book. And in that book, he makes this statement. He said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come and die. In other words, that person says, I know that following Jesus may cost me. But I'm willing to, it's worth, it's a trade-off that's worth it. Bonhoeffer said, he followed that statement by saying, "It it may be a death like that of the first disciples. All but one of the first disciples died a martyr's death. I'm not calling you to go out and die for Jesus. In fact, thank goodness, and most of the time, we don't have to make those kinds of commitments. There are people around the globe who are. But, but he says it's that kind of commitment. And he says that to the person that wants to follow Jesus but is not willing to make the, the, the uh, uh, self-sacrifice or being willing to uh, give control to him, he said it's just cheap grace. And he said cheap grace is like a, a grace without the cross or grace without Jesus Christ living intensely in us. So when Jesus calls us to give up, what he's really saying is give up control. Yield control of your life to me. And the fact is you will never grow up, listen, you will never grow up spiritually until you learn how to sacrifice yourself to God's agenda. Now, so how do we respond to the invitation to give up? Well, let me suggest, number one, we get honest with ourselves. We diagnose what really controls us. You want, to know, you want to know how, what, this is a, a, a well-tested, age-old response. You want to know what really controls you? Three things. First of all, what controls your calendar or your clock? 
What controls your calendar clock? That's going to tell you where your priorities. Number two, what controls your treasure? What controls your treasure? And number three, what controls your, your gifts and your abilities? How do you use what God has given to you, your abilities and, and uh, your giftedness? How do you use that? So first thing, you want to respond to give up, you've got to get honest. What control, what, so what am I giving control up for? And so be honest with yourself about uh, what controls your time, your treasure, and your talents. No excuses, no loopholes, and then give it to God. The second way you respond uh, to the invitation to give up is to offer willingly the burdens that are controlling our bodies and our hearts and our minds. So most people, look, if you get honest, you're going to start discovering things. This is really what controls me. I don't want it to. I didn't say the things you, you, you want to versus what you don't want. Just be honest. What controls my mind? What controls my heart? What burdens keep me from resting in Jesus? And, be honest, and then give those to Him. You say, I've done that, preacher. I've given those things to Him. And I've noticed shortly thereafter they, they have resurfaced. Let me tell you what you do when that happens. Give them to him again. And then, you say, then it comes back. Give them to him again. Do you understand? You just keep this process going. You just you say, well, it seems like I'm, I'm failing. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul said, why is it that the things I don't want to do are the things I keep on doing? Y'all ever feel like that? Man, I just keep doing the very things I don't want to do. Paul said that in Romans 7. And then he said, the very things I want to do, this is Paul the Apostle. The very things I want to do are the things I can't seem to do. And then he says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, I'm, I'm stuck in this body of flesh and this, the flesh keeps failing me. What do I do about this? You know, what he, he answers himself. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Now, so Paul says, I, I keep struggling, but what is, what is he doing? He understood that his victory came in Christ. So here's what that tells us and teaches us. It is, yeah, when you fail, guess what? You give it to Jesus again. And you give it to Jesus. And you give it to Jesus. You give those things. And you say, God, this is controlling my mind. This is controlling my heart. And you just keep on giving it to Him. Keep on giving it to Him. Keep on giving it to Him. Hopefully the distance will grow greater, right? But we keep on. We just keep on. We willingly give these burdens to Him. And then third, listen. Constantly stay near Jesus. If you want to know how, uh, how to give up, to, to say, here I, I surrender it all to you, constantly stay near Jesus. Why, do, why? To get your eyes off of you and put them on Him. Get your eyes off of you. See, we have this thing, we develop, after a while, we develop ingrown eyeballs. Ingrown eyeballs. You know what ingrown eyeballs are? It's something this culture has mastered, and that is to always be looking at you. Always be looking at you. Always be saying, life's not fair. Look at this. Uh, this didn't work. And this didn't. It's all about us. It's all about us. It's all about us. Listen, you know why you need to stay to Jesus? So you can get your eyes off of you and get them on Him. If you have been raised with Him, and you have been, then keep on seeking the things that are above 
not the things that are below. And we have to learn to get our eyes off of ourselves. It's so easy. In this culture you're living in, it's so easy to be a victim, isn't it? I mean, there's victim advocacy groups for anything and everything. I got this problem. Well, there's a become a part of this victims group. And, and look, by the way, the devil is laughing just from a cultural standpoint because he understands if you can just divide the culture up and everybody looks at themselves and say, I'm not getting my way or it's not working my way or my eyes are on myself or this and that, guess what? He knows a, a culture will disintegrate in time. We're seeing it, we're watching it. The devil knows that. And so he wants to get our eyes. Uh, 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 on ourself, ingrown eyeballs. So get near Jesus. Consistently stay near Jesus so you keep, keep your eyes on Him and off of you. But there's one final thing I want you to see, all right? So are you with me? Jesus invites you to, what's number one? Show up. Jesus invites you, what's number two? To give up. Jesus invites you, number three, to take up. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, the yoke is something, it's a device, a mechanism, I'll talk about in just a second, but it could be either negative, as in the yoke of slavery we sometimes, or the yoke of bondage, where it controls and it restricts. Or it could be positive in the sense of it makes us free uh, to be more effective at the task in front of us. And in this particular passage, Jesus is talking about His yoke, and it's used in a positive sense, but it is uh, related to our yielding our life to His control and taking up his, uh, uh, what He calls His burden. It's the positive side of the passage. Jesus is inviting us to throw off the yoke and the burden that is imposed on us by the stresses and the strains of the world and to take the yoke of Jesus which is light, listen, and comfortable and rewarding. In other words, Jesus invites us to, listen to this, exchange our weary lives for His abundant life for the rest of our lives. And by the way, I use that as a little double entendre for the rest of our lives, for the rest of our lives, and for the rest of our lives. So Jesus says, if you're weary, you're burdened down, you're heavy laden, He says, I want you to do something. I want you to exchange your burden that you're carrying that the world has imposed upon you. It's stresses, it's worries, it's concerns imposed upon you. And I want you to take those things, I want you to give them to me because that's a yoke that you don't need to carry and take my agenda, my yoke upon you because if you will, it will actually be rest. You've been straining and stressed under the other, but now you'll be at rest because it fits right. What do I mean by that? Well, he says two things about his yoke. He says, number one, his yoke is easy. Do you know what that means? It means it's custom fit. It fits just right. It's exactly the yoke that you need upon you. It is his yoke as opposed to the world yoke. The world yoke, well, you have to understand that the yoke is designed, ideally, to help oxen link together and pull easier and more effectively. But here's the problem. 
a lot of times the yoke was not custom fit to the oxen that it was put upon. And so sometimes the yoke would be bigger than the necks of the oxen that were linked together. And the result would be that as they tried to pull, because it didn't fit right, it would rub their skin. It would rub the the skin raw on these oxen and it would create blisters and sores on them and actually make them less effective in the task they were doing as opposed to more effective. And so when Jesus talks about this, don't miss this. This is, this is something that will help you. He's saying, my yoke fits you. It's easy because it is custom made for your neck. I mean, that's the way to think of it. So he says, what, the, what I put upon you, if you will trust me, it will work. I'm going to put my burden upon you, and if you will allow it, it will direct you and make you more effective in the life that you live. His yoke is easy. But many people today that are trying to follow Jesus are beat down. They're worn out. They've got sores and bruises because they're trying to carry a yoke that Jesus does not intend for them to carry. And he's saying, you don't have to wear that. You don't have to go in that. If you'll come to me, I've got a yoke that will fit you. It will be easy for you to carry. And it's one of those things where he said, man, I'm now living under the yoke of Jesus. Why didn't I do this sooner? His yoke is easy. You get it? Wearing the yoke that the world imposes on you will wear you out. It'll, it, it will create sores. It will make your flesh raw. And it, it will, it will uh, affect your heart and your mind. But Jesus' yoke is restorative and restful and easy. That's why he says a second thing. Not only is it e- uh, easy, but it's, it provides rest. I told you now, the the yoke was designed to make the oxen's work easier. So the yoke of Christ is easier to bear, makes His work easier, and by the way, makes following Him easier, and it brings rest to your weary soul. There's some of you who are watching today, there's some of you in this building, and this message is for you specifically because you're just worn out you're weary and the reason you're weary is you've been trying to carry a load and a burden that Jesus is just saying I've invited you to come to me and to give that burden to me and take my agenda upon you and you will find rest and refreshment for your soul do you need his rest today you're going to grow weary and you're going to stay weary if you live under the wrong yoke. But the fact is, you don't have to do that. Look, you can labor under the beatdown of the world yoke, or you can labor under the restful yoke of Christ, and it's really un- up to you, and that's why it is an invitation. And just like His command, remember I told you in verse 28, it says, come to me, I told you that that is a command, come to me, it's imperative, okay. Now look at, look at the words, take my yoke upon you. Guess what that is? It's an imperative. Just like come to him is a command, so is take up his yoke. That is a command also. And, but it's your decision. And it determines, it determines your destiny. As I was uh, preparing this message... Uh, I got to thinking about uh, Caravaggio's Renaissance painting, 
known as the call of St. Matthew. And it's worth looking up. I don't have the actual picture, but I've seen the picture. And so I went back and started looking at it again. And it is really a beautiful painting, a Renaissance artwork. And um, the call of St. Matthew. And, and in the picture, here's what's going on. I mean, you can kind of gather what's, what's going on. But you see Matthew sitting around a table and with all these coins on the table. And he's dressed in real fine clothing. And he has like four workers that are with him. And obviously it's the money that he has made as a tax collector. And to the right of the picture, you will see Jesus to the right of the picture. And he's pointing back at Matthew, but he's turned this way. His feet are facing the door. He's already heading out the room and he's pointing back to Matthew. It is the call to come follow me. And Matthew's at this table and he has this kind of surprised look on his face, like, me? And Jesus is already, here, here, here's what I want you to get. Jesus calls, but he's going forward. You decide, it's your moment of decision, but Jesus is going forward. You have to decide what you're going to do. Now, fortunately, we know the story, how the story turns out, right? That Jesus called him and he left what he was doing and the implication is he had to make a choice right then. It wasn't like, I'll get back to you, Jesus. As I told you at the beginning of the message, we don't see that with Jesus. He doesn't say, hey, you want to be a disciple? Think about it. Let me know. He just says, come on. And we know that Matthew left that life. And he turned and he followed Jesus. Jesus is already going out. I, I want to tell you something. Nothing has changed about the invitation of Jesus. Nothing. Today, he still calls to us and says, come to me. Now, you're worn out. You're tired. The burdens are crushing you. You're depressed. You're despairing. You're stressed out of your mind. He says, when are you going to come to me? And let me carry the burden. You take that burden. I can carry it. And you take my burden because my burden is light. And it will restore your soul. That's still the invitation of Christ to you and to me today. And this morning, it is a decisive moment. There are people watching and this is a decisive moment for you. There are people in this building and this is a decisive moment for you. In your heart, you say, exactly what you're saying is true in my life. And when Jesus says, come to me, it is an invitation to all to come. It is an open invitation because he uses the word all. Come to me, all you, not some of you, not just the, my, my closest disciples. He's saying, Come to me. Are you worn out? Are you tired of trying to live uh, religiously when, when I want you to live related to me? Come to me. That's what he says. So, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means that you show up. It means that you give up your agenda for His agenda. And it means you take up. You exchange your life for His life for the rest of your life. You may be a believer and you may say, I am a believer. I've already come to Jesus. But you've wandered away. And you're tired. You're weary. You're beat down. You're stressed out. 
you're discouraged because you've forgotten how to wear the yoke of Christ. You've forgotten to, to show up. You've forgotten to, to give up. And you've forgotten to take up His agenda. And Jesus is calling to you. Here's what Jesus is calling. He's saying to all of us, give up the control of your life. He's saying, give up the burdens that are beating you down. He's saying, give up your unfitting yoke and take up the easy yoke of Christ. And He's saying, find your rest in resting in Him. This morning, do you need to show up? You need to give up. You need to take up. Father, Lord, we forget these things. Uh, Father, and we, we try to even do the good stuff for you in our own strength and power under the yoke that the world imposes upon us. Lord, I pray for those who are living under that yoke because they've never trusted you and that today they would hear you say, come to me. They're worn out. They're religious maybe. They just need to come to you. Would you call them today? And would you cause them to hear, Lord, right now, right now in this moment, cause them to hear your call to them. Bind the evil one that he can't corrupt their minds or their hearts or convince them that they're fine or they don't need to hear that call. And Father, calls them to come and give themselves to you. Lord, there are believers here that have forgotten the stuff that I've talked about this morning. And they, with all good intent, have been carrying loads that you never designed for them to carry. They've taken back upon themselves a load that you died on the cross to deliver them from. I pray for them today, Lord, that they would renew their relationship and walk with you by yielding up, by giving up, by surrendering afresh to your agenda. Now, would you speak, Father, before we're gone, in this time of invitation, move. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our time of invitation? I mean, what better time to give an invitation than when you've been preaching on the invitation? And so I'm going to be here, staff will be here uh, in the aisles, and uh, maybe you need to respond to the invitation. There's a pull, there's a, a knowledge right now, I need to respond to him. That's not from the devil. The devil will never draw you to God. And so we're here. I want to invite you in balcony and this ground floor to slip out. If you need to, to meet Him or if you call, you pray that prayer calling on Him to be your Savior. You slip out. You come down. You may be here and say, you know, I need a church home. You come and say, I want to join Rich because I know Christ is my Savior. Maybe you need to be baptized. We won't do it at the moment, but we'll schedule a time. Maybe you say, I need, that's the next step. I need to follow Him in. Maybe you want to come and pray around this altar. There's somebody you're praying for. There's some decision that you're praying about. There's something you need to kneel before God. Use this altar. Would you come? Just kneel there and talk to Him. Whatever the case may be, don't miss this moment of decision. You know, like Matthew 
Thank God Matthew didn't miss it. When Jesus said, come, come and follow me, he did. Today is a decisive moment. Will you come and follow him? Will you do that? You're watching by live stream. You prayed that prayer, that kind of commitment. You can see what to do. Text the word. It's on your screen. Pastor to 334-384-8080 or join or baptize. We'll know what to do with it. Use that. You can do that in this live audience, but I invite you to come. Whatever decision it is that you've made, today's the moment of decision. Don't miss it. As Bradley leads us, you slip out right now. You come on.